this morning's uh, scripture reading for the sermon, uh, if you wouldn't mind standing, if you're able, if you're able to stand, we are in the book of Leviticus, and I have a section from chapter 2 and a section from chapter 7. It's also on the third page of your bulletin if you wanted to read along, because it's on the screen, but it'll come down. So, hear these words from the book that we love. Leviticus 2, verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. And then jumping to Leviticus 7, verse 11 and following. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The largest property theft history in U.S., the largest property theft in U.S. history happened in Boston a little over 30 years ago. It was at an art museum called the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. $500 million worth of art was stolen, and two Rembrandts were in the museum and taken. They, they left the frames on the wall, and um, to get out quickly, they just cut the Rembrandt out of the frame and took the frame, with, uh, took the artwork, leaving the frame where it was. And one of the really interesting things about the whole event was in the benefactress's will, Isabella Stewart Gardner, she, uh, she said that the stolen objects couldn't be replaced, like nothing else could ever take the place of what was stolen. And that means that two empty frames, these beautiful frames, have just been hanging there empty for now 31 years. And that to me is a picture of a lot. Like something beautiful should be here. Something in this frame that's amazing should be on display and isn't. And it's a picture to me of a lot of things. A fallen creation, like most of us can tell there's enough glory getting through, enough marvelous beauty getting through in the creation. It's like a frame that you see something really totally glorious should be there, but there's also so much missing. There's so much that's flawed. You can see that this is just not the way it's supposed to be. Kind of like, almost like an empty frame. I think it's a picture of fallen humanity, human beings, are definitely not all that they could be. Certainly it's not displayed. 
And I've also been thinking about it a lot in relation to our common life as a church. Let me ask you, what are the amazing things that we have been created to display like corporately to one another and to the world? And it's just not getting through. It's just not what it's supposed to be. I've been saying to a lot of you privately, and we've been getting to this a little bit in the series, something really valuable was taken from us during the pandemic. And we're still struggling to get it back. Like when we couldn't meet together for a while, we couldn't. Online worship was a gift. And like viewing through a screen, a TV or a computer screen, it's not like it's as empty exactly as that empty frame in the art museum. Like some good things are getting through, but there are essentials of worship, not optional things, essentials of worship that you just cannot get through a screen. And some people um, still cannot come back or are struggling for, for all kinds of reasons to come back. And it's just worth noting as we are still praying for full restoration of what the church is and what gathered worship is, it's just important to recognize what was lost and what it would look like to get some of those essentials of worship back. We've been in a series uh, since mid-September now about various aspects of worship gatherings as we see them in Scripture. And we're looking at two more aspects of it today, and they both have one thing in common. Worship is a shared meal. Last week, worship was a chorus. The week before, worship is a service. This week, worship is a shared meal, and it is challenging to share a meal through a screen. We're back in Leviticus today, and we are looking at the different offerings that made up Israelite gathered worship services in the Old Testament. Um, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, we looked at atonement offerings. These were offerings that mainly the Israelites brought so that the blood of the sacrificial animal would cover or cleanse them of their sin and faith to God. But, and I think this is lost on a lot of us, not all sacrifices in the Old Testament were about sin. Today we're talking about we would still be offering had sin never entered into the world. Most most of them, whatever else they were, and whatever else was done with the, with the blood of the offering, most offerings were a meal. Most offerings were simply a meal, and some offerings were just a meal. I'm going to go over two different types of offerings that we looked at in the readings from Leviticus. First, gift offerings, and secondly, peace offerings, and I'll say a little bit more about each. Gift offerings, or in the language of Leviticus 2, this is those first three verses that we read at the top of your page from Leviticus 2, 14 through 16. Um, the words grain offering are used, and it is to be understood as a meal, to point out the obvious. What do you do with bread? You offer it for a meal. Some to the Lord, to the priests. Interesting, Hebrew term for grain offering, most of the times the term is used in the Old Testament as the term mincha. It simply means 
tribute. Like if you brought, like if you went to another world leader, you bring a gift from your own country. You bring a tribute. In the ancient world, if you approached a king, you brought a gift. A gift. And that's many of the offerings that made up Old Testament worship services. Think about it this way. I want to get us to the heart of what was going on when you brought a tribute to God in a worship service. Think about when you give other gifts, like a birthday gift, let's say. You don't give somebody a birthday gift because they're necessarily earning it, or you're in their debt. You might be, or you might feel like you have to because they gave you a really good gift for your birthday. That's not the main reason, let's say. You just bring it, you offer it to them, because even though you're not in their you still count them worthy of it. Now, that's just human beings. God is in this totally other category unto himself. That's what's going on here. Do you remember, if you're in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John 12, and this is the Gospels, the woman's not always named, but in John 12, it's named as Mary of Bethany. She gives Jesus a gift the last week of his life. Do you remember what she does? She brings this valuable vase ointment, incredibly valuable, and she pours it out on Jesus' feet, and do you remember what the response of everybody in the room was in Jesus? They said, why this waste? Why would you take this, this vase, use one time, and crack it, and pour it out on the feet of a homeless rabbi? Why wasn't it sold to many people to do, to do a world of good? This waste. They just didn't see his worthiness. That he was like this. I was thinking about something that happened in our community about 10 years ago. Um, the Marlin family, uh, by our church, would go to serve in East Africa to partner with a local church and to work in theological education. And obviously, it's a big upheaval to take your family, three kids, and move up from the U.S. and go on the other side of the world. And a number of people very close to them said, you know, Joe, Christy, you should be able to do whatever you want. And these people didn't happen to be in our church, but they were very close to them. You should do whatever you want, but you really need to think about what you're doing with your kids. And of course, they need to think about it. But what was implied was, don't put your kids through this this upheaval, this moving to the other side of the planet. And, and the Marlins' response was, is he or is he not worthy of us doing even that if he's truly, truly calling us to this? Is he worthy? Is there anything he's not worthy of? How many assumptions go into phrases like, why this waste? or that's too far. A gift offering, a tribute offering, was not about atonement. Not about atonement. It was simply an offering up of what we have to God who reciprocates it, who gives it back. And here's the thing about gifts to God. You can't outgive him. You know, a few days later, the blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross was of much greater value than whatever Mary poured out of that vase. 
It was a much more generous outpouring. So when we ask, and we do need to ask this, this has been a little bit of a theme. All over the Old Testament, one big assumption is when you gather for worship, you bring him something. You bring him something. That's what a worship service was. It is not a legalistic question to ask. What are you bringing him? What are you bringing him? We bring him all kinds of things. It's a question for every redeemed human being. Whatever else you bring him, here's the least thing that you bring him. A heart that acknowledges he's worthy of everything. And this begins with our praise. How many times in the Psalms? Just thinking of Psalm 141. Let my prayers go up to you like the evening sacrifice. A sacrifice and offering of what? Of praise. What do you do when you bring a sacrifice? You think about it. You prepare for it. You consider what you're doing and the worthiness of the recipient. And that's part of the coming to him and bringing it. Hebrews 13, just one more place. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Brothers and sisters, what do you sense that God is asking you to bring him and you're hesitating? Where are you noticing his worthiness and what appropriate gift will you bring this king? Is he worth the least of a preparation in your heart to bring him praise? Secondly, that was the first one, tribute offering, gift offering as it's also called. Secondly, peace offerings. And this was the Leviticus 7. It's there again, and I'll refer back to it a few times, but get this. This offering, the peace offering, also referred to as the fellowship offering, is distinguished from all the other offerings that we've talked about so far for this reason. Those who offer it share the meal. They share the meal. Think about it, if you're, if you're invited to a meal, Friendsgiving, Friendsgiving, women's Friendsgiving on Saturday, you don't just bring something amazing that you've prepared, put it on the table and sit back and watch everybody else share it and say, that looks really good. You share in it. And that was what was intended. Here in Leviticus 7, verse 12, if he offers it for a thanksgiving, it's a thanksgiving meal, then he shall offer it with the thanksgiving sacrifice, etc. And then down in verse 15, and the flesh of this sacrifice, of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, shall be eaten on the day of his offering. It's not just a meal for the Lord. It's not just a meal for the priests, although it's for both of them too. It's also a meal for the worshipers. And we see this all the time if we read the Old Testament clearly. Claire Davis's favorite passage in the Bible is Nehemiah 8, and he talks about it all the time, um, where there's this huge feast after at worship service, followed by a feast when the Israelites come back from exile and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah says this, I want every one of you to eat all the fat parts. Like a really good steak is one that's got a lot of fat in it. I want you to eat all the good stuff, and I want you to drink all the best wine. And if there's anyone who's left out, I want you to find them. I want you to search for them and give them as much as they can handle. And it's a sacrifice. It's an offering. 
this, is, this was happening last week in 1 Chronicles 16. It's happening in Deuteronomy 12, which is one more passage. It's on the screen. I'm actually not going to read it. It's there on the passage for your future reference as kind of setting the pace for future meals that the Israelites are going to share with the Lord. But get this. See if this sounds like anything else. We can, we can move past it, Harrison. We don't need to keep it up. It's there in the bulletin. A thanksgiving meal that we share with other worshipers, the clergy, and also God himself. Doesn't this sound a lot like communion? Do you, do you remember the Last Supper when we read in the last week of Jesus' life on Maundy Thursday, he shares that meal with his disciples. It's a Passover meal. Of course, Jesus Christ was there at the meal, eating the lamb. There's some ideas out there that there wasn't a lamb at the Passover meal. Mark, Mark uh, the Gospel of Mark writer, makes it very clear there was. But Jesus also is like the better, truer Passover lamb who's at the table. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as a once-for-all sin offering. But we keep sharing that Last Supper and Communion as a peace offering. That's what we're reading about. That's what we're talking about. A peace offering that we have again and again and again and again, and we will have into eternity. It's a peace offering. That's what we're doing at Communion. Bringing him bread and wine, offering it to him, and receiving it back in a meal with him. So let me just say these things in closing to be really clear. These offerings remain. We, last time we were talking about other sacrifices, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, Jesus Christ is offered as a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. But God still wants to share a feast with us, which in the ancient world was the ultimate sign of hospitality, of welcome. Come to my table. You are welcome here. You're not too far off, too dirty, too foreign, too uninitiated. Come and share at my table if you will just receive my grace. And this meal is the very heart of worship. And you can't do it through a screen. It's really interesting, in the ancient church, um, how connected the offerings were with communion. Here's what I mean. Um, in, in the uh, earliest church, the people would bring the bread and wine for communion. And for some of them, it was like really expensive to do so. Like, this is precious stuff. They brought the bread and the wine for communion. It was their offering to God and to the people. And then whoever was celebrating communion would lift it up in a prayer and say really beautiful words, Lord, Thine own of thine own. That was the phrase. Of your own you offer to us. We give it back to you. Of thine own, you give it back to us. And we break it and we distribute it. And it's shared in gratitude as seals of the body and blood of Christ to bless many and send us out into the world. It's like the boy who shared a few fish and loaves and Christ transformed them to feed thousands. So much more than what was offered is dispersed to many once offered to God. There, there was these really interesting links between offering and communion. Let me just say this about what we offer to God today. I have seen a teenager awkwardly lead a congregation in song 
Uh, and it was a really like valuable offering. Like it, it wasn't cheap. Um, she had practiced and she had uh, brought her absolute best and it was used to bless hundreds, like way more than a 12 piece band. And I said it was awkward because by the world's standards, it was pathetic. But it was her very best, it was offered in faith, it was brought to him as her offering to an audience of one, but that it really came back and blessed an entire congregation like almost nothing I've ever seen before. And it really stayed with me. So it's not just about cost, it's not just about excellence in the world's eyes. You have something to bring. At our worst, brothers and sisters, we are, we're actually a lot more than just that beautiful, empty frame. God loves you, and we come together as a beloved gathering of God's image bearers every time we come together. But if you want to talk about the masterpiece that's supposed to be displayed, like the full glory of God's work of art that is the church, if you want to talk about the masterpiece that he's fully restoring, that shows forth when we worship, like he's invited us to, when we bring him a sacrifice of praise, whatever else we also bring. When we serve, when we offer, when we share with him all that he is worth, that's where his glory shines through. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.